there does really come a moment when we make these pivots or these turns where you have to decide, am I going to play around with this or am I going to go pro? You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Juju Hook. I am a brand strategist. I've been a brand strategist in some form or another for about 30 years. I specifically work now with midlife women business owners. Most of them have service businesses and help them build presence online and in real life. In particular, Juju's clients are often going through a significant career change, maybe leaving the corporate world to start their own business, or maybe they're switching gears from a business they've already successfully built, but no longer feel excited about. So in this episode, Juju and I are talking all about seasons, both in business and in life, and how they often intertwine and influence each other. We discuss how long it takes to get through the initial dip of a new pursuit. It takes about 50 hours to learn a new thing to the extent where you can enjoy doing it. Up to 50 hours, it's kind of a slog. But if you think about it, 50 hours is not very much time. At 1,000 hours, we're rocking it. Where to find the time to commit to testing and exploring a potential new career path? If you're doing things for other people that they don't need you to do for them, this is time that you can recapture. There's a lot of that time, I think, too, in our lives that we don't really give credence to. And how to bet on yourself while limiting the downside. Everybody needs a bridge. You have to find a bridge. You have to find a way to make the time to do what you want to do. We also talk about how to find your dream clients, even if you're starting from scratch. The beautiful thing about essence is that it's what drives attraction. So we're not attracted to a bottle of perfume or a bottle of wine or a cup of coffee because it's enough or not enough. We're attracted to it because it's what we like, because it's what we want. And so I really encourage people to get in touch with their essence because when you're fully in touch with it and you can show it fully, you'll attract people who want that. If you don't show it fully, no one ever gets to know if they want you or not. They don't get to see it. While we're always moving through shifting seasons in our lives, there's often a singular event that jolts us, alerting us to the fact that our lives, work, goals, or relationships are no longer in alignment. For Juju, this moment was being sat down by her son's high school principal after he had run away from home. So as I approached 50, I really started to question a lot of things, mostly around my own capabilities and I think more specifically my relevance, which I think is a pretty typical thing to happen for a lot of us. And I think it happens for women a little bit earlier than it does for men as a general rule. And I was coping in a lot of ways. I was very overly involved in my teenage son's life, which you can imagine he was super stoked about and a lot of Pinot Noir and, and Netflix and just really avoiding, I think the feelings that I didn't want to feel. And I'm not sure that I was really in touch with what they were until I had a sort of a cornerstone client that I could see I was about to lose. And it was a, it was a very big account. I'd had it for a number of years and I had a big team working on it. And they were really hardworking folks. And there was this moment where I thought, I need to go out and replace this work so that all of these people can continue to be paid. And I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to pull down another national client like this. 
you know, that maybe they're going to want a younger agency, you know, somebody who's more relevant, somebody who's more tied into tech, somebody who's, you know, all these things that you start to sort of think about yourself that I'm not even really sure were about me as much as what society told me about me. So on the night when I sort of came to the realization that I was going to lose the client, I sort of washed it all down with a couple of dirty martinis. And the next morning I woke up, you know, head pounding to prepare for yet another day. My in-laws were here from Germany and we were in the middle of this, this huge rainstorm, Southern California, and our gutters were stuffed with leaves and our house flooded through the dryer vent. And it was just one of these early morning, it was a mess. It was just a hot mess. And about halfway through sort of sopping up the flood, I realized I'd forgotten to wake up my teenager, which was ridiculous that I was even waking him up, right? Like this is how over-involved I was. And sparks just started to fly. You know, we were yelling at each other and it was just a really, when I think back on it now, it was just a very shame, shameful moment. And he crawled out the second story window and ran away before school. And, you know, sopping wet, I called my husband and said, Hey, you know, Christian's run away and he's going to freeze. And of course, me and my husband had much more perspective and said, listen, you know, we live in San Diego, right? No one's freezing. It's 65 degrees. I'm sure he's going to be fine. And don't go after him. He'll come back. He can't hold us like hostages in our house. And, and he did. And I took him, drove him to school and I dropped him off and, you know, he was angry and he was wet. And on the way home, I got a call from our principal and, you know, this was someone I knew and really respected. And he asked me what was going on at home. He said, you know, what's happening at home? It seems like Christian's under a ton of pressure. It seems like he's really, he's, he's unhappy. And I kind of went off and said, you know, Christian's not really applying himself. And I think he's just sort of skating through life. And what if he never tries? What if he never makes anything of himself? And, you know, went on like parents do. And he said, you know, I don't think this is about him. And I wouldn't say this to a lot of parents, but I feel like you and I really have a relationship. I think this is about you. And I would really encourage you to go do something that terrifies you or go do something that's really hard because he doesn't need you in that way anymore. And it just was a really pivotal moment in my life because as that day went on and then the days that followed, I think I realized that I had never really given myself a chance to do the stuff that I really wanted to do and that I was more ready in that moment than I'd ever been and had completely underestimated not only my relevance, but my power. And it shifted everything for me. And from that moment, I sort of started to dismantle the life that I had built in the prior season and, and build a new one. Yeah, I love that. And I think there's so many things that so many people can relate to in that. And I think that, you know, you were at a phase where a lot of the people that you work with are in kind of in that midlife, especially as mothers kind of seeing the kids go off and and being forced to like, okay, well, I, I've put so much into this part of my life and that there's going to be an emptiness there. And like, what next? Like, is my career enough that the current career I have? And so I think we'll get into some more of that as we go on. But I'd love to zoom out a little bit and just see how you've uh, seen this idea of seasons and moving between them, both in life and business, how that shows up just on a broad level uh, with the people you work with. 
Do you see any like common threads, both from your own experience and then the people that you work with, that people move through distinct phases and maybe want different things and have different goals and desires as they're they're moving through their lives and businesses? Yeah, I definitely do. So I think that for those of us who are results-driven, there's a hustle phase when we're younger. And I think that that phase is similar for both men and women. And we tend to, at a very young age, I think, understand or make a plan for what it is we want for that phase of life. You know, I'm going to go to school or I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this kind of job and I'm going to build this kind of family, whatever that looks like. And, you know, if I have secondary education, this is what that'll look like. And this is what success will look like. And we kind of ramp it all up and everything gets going. And if kids are involved, then there's a trajectory there. If not, as women, we're almost always mothering something, whether it's projects or businesses. And I think men have a similar drive, but from a different perspective in a very traditional sense, I would say, you know, not all men, not all women. Right. And then there comes a point where we've sort of done that, you know, we've accomplished those things and nobody talks to us about what happens with the second stage of life. Right. Like there's no, there's no point when we're young where somebody goes, okay, when, when you're 40, you're going to sit down and figure this all out again. And so we start to perceive this emptiness or this transition in different ways. And what I find is that a lot of people perceive transition as loss. And during midlife, all kinds of things happen. You know, our kids leave. Very often our parents die or we begin to take care of our parents. We have different relationships with our siblings, right? Everybody starts to form their own families. We've oftentimes been in a career for multiple decades. And so it starts to get old. It starts to wane for, I think both women and men, we have huge hormonal shifts in our bodies. And so we're not even really aware of the emotional effect that that has on us. And it feels like this massive time of loss and nobody really talks about the opportunity on the other side. And because that conversation isn't had we feel adrift. And what I find is that almost all of the women who I work with experience this in one way or another, but it shows up differently for them. So for some women, it feels like depression. And for some women, it feels like a call to greater contribution. You know, and now I want to contribute to the community or to the world or to apply my mastery in a different way. And for some women, it feels like it did for me, kind of restless, kind of agitated. Oftentimes, women will have this sort of, is this all there is, right? Is this kind of thing? But I think most often what happens is we have a burning desire to do a big thing. And there's a fear that my ship has already sailed. Like, oh, I missed it. Or who am I to do this, right? Who am I to to create this thing? Very often it's creative. I want to write something or make something, in fact, when I first felt it, I started talking to women about it. And it was so common that I wrote a book about it because I, I didn't meet one woman who felt that as she was getting older, she was becoming more valuable. Like that was not a thought among anyone. It was always the older I get, the less I'll be worth. Yeah. I was going to ask what some of the signs that you might be in this transitional phase where you should start expanding your kind of like scope of what you are capable of doing and looking for other alternatives and maybe thinking about making a change in your life. And it sounds like you listed out a bunch of them there, actually. All these feelings that might come up are probably signs that you're going through this. I'm curious if somebody is feeling those things, 
that's a confusing space to be in for all of these reasons. And I mean, you mentioned there being hormonal shifts and like all of these things that we're not probably actively aware of that are influencing our thought processes. So like, where do you start with, I'm feeling all this stuff and it's overwhelming and I'm not happy with my life or not satisfied. What, what's the first step to get started in reframing everything? So a couple of things. First of all, I think we perceive those things as problems. I just had this conversation with my husband because he, you know, we were talking before the show started that we have a little airplane and he has, as of late, been thinking about flying around the world in it and trying to talk me into it, right? We could, we can fly around the world. And it's so clear to me that he's at a point where he's really considering how will I make, how will I make a mark, right? What, what, what will this part of life look like? And he's the same thing, you know, he's been a, a couple decades in a career, he's achieved a lot of success and he's not, it's not turning him on, right? He's not waking up in the morning and feeling energized and fulfilled. And then on top of it, there are real societal circumstances right now. You know, I mean, we're all trapped to some extent and we've been in this real negative environment, I think too politically for a long time in terms of arguing. And so there's a, there's a lot there to feel emotion around, right? To feel angst around. But the biggest thing, I think the shift is, that it's not a problem. It's not a problem that we're feeling these things. We're feeling them because it's time. And like for women, I call it prime time. You know, this is the eight to 11 time slot. There's, there's a point where we're most prepared to really shine. And that point comes with wisdom. It comes with experience. It comes with insight. And we have this perception that, oh, I'm having a crisis, but it's not a crisis. It's a transition. It's an opportunity. So that that's the first shift. I think the second shift that's become really valuable for me is we have a perception that what we need to do is start over. And, you know, at a certain point in life, we don't really want to start. There's, it's, starting over isn't the answer, right? The answer is taking everything that we know and everything that we've learned and applying it in a way that feels great. And so I'm still using all the skills and all the mastery that I started developing when I was 22, but I apply it in a totally different way now, which means I spend my days in a different way and I encounter different people and I, I have a different degree and different level of contribution. And that brings me a different kind of happiness. It brings me a different kind of fulfillment. And so I think this feeling of being lost is often I hear women say, well, I don't know really what I want, or I'm not sure what my passion is. And there's this searching, 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 right? And it's right there. It's like that, you know, this was your passion for 20 years. Let's figure out what we can do with it in a way that's new and exciting. Yeah. Do you have any exercises that you get people to go through that helps them reframe their existing skills and experience? Because I know for myself, when I the impetus for me starting my podcast production business was I wanted to create a location independent business where I could travel. And I had gone to school to be a sound engineer. I wanted to work in the music business. And that skill to me was completely irrelevant. I needed a big studio I, that was so location dependent, all that gear working with like local musicians and all these things. I could not see it. And it wasn't for, you know, six or nine months after I was starting on building another business that I Finally, a friend, I was listening to his podcast and he talked about his, his podcast editor. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I am way vastly overqualified to start this business, but I could have never seen that from my existing kind of perspective. So do you have any ways that you help coach people through like taking what they already know and their, their sk existing skills and thinking about it in a new way? 
I do. So there are several things that I ask people to look at. The first one is we're all born with an essence, right? A natural essence. And it's almost like if you can would consider a bottle of wine or a bag of coffee beans or a bottle of perfume, right? There's a, there's a concentrated flavor or concentrated scent to all of that. And we don't control that. We don't develop it. We're born with it. I mean, we're born with a temperament that defines who we are. We're born with a personality and we're born with sort of a set of gifts. And I really, really encourage people to define their essence, to say it out loud in the same way that you would talk about a bottle of wine, you know, that the, the main flavor is this, and there's top notes of this and under notes of this, and this is who I am. I think one of the things we worry about, especially as we move forward and build businesses and brand ourselves, is that we're not going to have enough of it, right? What's going to be sales worthy about me? What's going to be, how am I unique? Everyone's already done this. Everyone's already said this, Right. And the beautiful thing about essence is that it's what drives attraction. So we're not attracted to a bottle of perfume or a bottle of wine or a cup of coffee because it's enough or not enough. We're attracted to it because it's what we like, because it's what we want. And so I really encourage people to get in touch with their essence because when you're fully in touch with it and you can show it fully, you'll attract people who want that, right? So that's kind of the first step. If you don't show it fully, no one ever gets to know if they want you or not. They don't get to see it. The second step is around mastery. And I think there's a difference between skills and things we've mastered. And like for you, you mastered a profession. And same with me. I can give a, you know, a 20 hour presentation on branding and not prepare because it's my life. It's what I've mastered. But we haven't only mastered professional things. As humans, we've mastered all kinds of things. You know, we've, some of us have mastered time management. Some of us have mastered relationships. Some of us have mastered how to make friends. Some of us have mastered how to maintain optimal health. And we've done that because we've, we've had years of interest in it and years of, of dedication to it. So I really encourage everybody to get in touch with all the things they've mastered. And you know if you're a master at something, right? People come to you and ask you advice on that thing. You feel absolutely qualified in it, right? It doesn't require any study or anything like that. It's that I've got this. And then I really encourage people to do a perfect day meditation over and over again. And this idea of, and I've seen it done all different kinds of ways, and I've participated in all different kinds of ways, but this idea that you're waking up on a perfect day in your life. You know, you've, 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 been, you've been in a time machine, you're, you're waking up whenever it is, and it's the perfect day in your life. And to really think about where am I and who am I with and, you know, where am I eating breakfast and what am I eating? And when I go to work, where do I go and what do I do and how do I spend my day? And we have these, this belief that we're going to come to those things. But the truth is they come to us. If you ask, if you really ask out loud or ask in a, in a, in a meditation or ask in, a mirror, in the mirror even, right? What's my perfect day? What am I doing? That's where the juiciness comes. Because as far as mastery, it's no different than what I was doing before. But before what I was doing was managing a big creative team, right? Pitching corporate clients, selling myself, selling things that I was not necessarily emotionally attached to. And I, that's what I spent my day doing, strategy and justification of that strategy. Now I spend my entire day 
talking and connecting with women I love. And it's a totally different experience for me. And I knew when I started, when I walked away from my agency, I, I said to my husband, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to replace this account. I was so sure of it. And he said, what do you want to do? And I, in the moment, I said, I want to be a motivational speaker. And I don't even know why I responded with that. And he said, wow, what, what does that look like? And I said, I have absolutely no idea what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. I don't even know what I would talk about. But I think what I knew is that I wanted a connection with a feedback loop. I wanted to help people and inspire people. And I needed that feedback loop. I needed to watch it happening. And I have that every day now and I love it. And for as long as this season works, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that your experience there, I feel like that big hurdle of saying, I want to be a motivational speaker and I don't know what that looks like. That is such a huge thing for any of us to be able to, like, I think a lot of times what holds us back from actually starting down the path is saying it out loud the first time when somebody says, what do you want? And you, there's a thought that comes to mind and it's like, that's ridiculous. I can't say that because, you know, we were talking again before the interview where you were saying that uh, your husband promised you when you moved to Arizona that we're going to buy a house in California and have a plane. And of course you can look at that and you're like, well, yeah, that's, that's a dreamy life. Like that's not going to happen. And it has for you. And it's a very different, I think sometimes where our minds go is like, well, we're going to have like a private jet and all these things. And that's a, a different reality than what you have, but it's still true that initial statement and like what it allows you to do is true. And so there's also like this, you can think of being Tony Robbins, which I mean, there's only one Tony Robbins as when you think of motivational speakers, but there's a, a, other alternatives that are achievable and accessible and don't require like a lifetime of Tony Robbins level uh, dedication or mastery of the, his message. Yeah, and I didn't want Tony Robbins day. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like what I really wanted was connection and the idea of standing on a stage in front of tens of thousands of people over and over again and being a CEO and running a company like that and flying around the world. That's not what I craved. What I craved was it inspiring someone and having a feedback loop where I could hear that I was, I, I wanted to be positively influential in a way that I was connected. And what's really interesting about the, that you brought up the plane, because for Jan, for my husband, the plane is an adventure. The plane is a way for him to conquer something, right? A way for him to commune with something bigger. He felt the same way about surfing. He was also was an Ironman for many years. This idea that I'm going to do, I'm going to go on a quest and do this big thing. And when I do it, I'm going to I'm going to push myself to the edge and I'm going to commune with something bigger, whether it's the ocean or the sky or whatever. I don't have any of that. Like I have no desire for that. Right. For me, the plane is a way to get to where I want to go. The plane is a way to be a motivational speaker. Right. And to connect with women who wouldn't come to me, I can go to them. And it's a way for Jan and I to have this constant conversation in the plane, in the cockpit about what he wants and what I want. And we're essentially doing two completely different things, but that's what keeps a relationship alive for a long time is having something to talk about. So I think too, when we, when we, you know, you said, when you have that first thought, when I, when he, I said, I want to be a motivational speaker. He asked me, how long do you think it'll take? And I said, give me five years because I, that's what I thought. I'm going to have to learn how to do this. And I think that's another sort of way that we sell ourselves short is 
we decide that we want these things and we give ourselves unreasonably short amount of time to achieve them. And then we rate ourselves as successes or failures. And it's a really unfair way to treat ourselves. Yeah. How do you think the our perception of time plays into that, especially as we're getting older and you're already, you know, 50, 55, 60, maybe when you're wanting to make this shift. And do you think that that has a, an impact on the timelines we set ourselves to achieve these goals? I think so, but I, I think more so what impacts our timeline to achieve them is impatience and desire. I think there's two things happening there. First of all, I do think we have the perception that we're running out of time. But I think it's the perception that we're running out of time that drives us to the call. That's where the little thing in the back of your head says, if I don't write this book now, I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to forgive myself, right? If I don't start designing this jewelry or learn to fly a plane or whatever, run run the marathon, I'm never going to be able to do it, right? But I think the bigger issue is that we're impatient. And we already know everything right? Like this is a joke at our house that everyone in my house knows everything together. We know more things than actually exist. And so we get to a certain point in life where we don't really want to learn new things. We don't, we want to know them, but we don't want to go through the process of figuring it out. And one of the things that I learned as I was writing my book is that from an instructional standpoint, it takes about 50 hours to learn a new thing to the extent where you can enjoy doing it. Up to 50 hours, it's kind of a slog. But if you think about it, 50 hours is not very much time. So if you decide you want to golf, you can start in January. And if you spend an hour a week, by the next January, you'll be able to enjoy golf enough to have a great golf game. It's the same if you want to speak Spanish or if you want to fly a plane or whatever it is. 50 hours is enough time to get proficient enough to enjoy doing it. At a thousand hours, we're rocking it, right? So your job, if you work full time, it's about 2000 hours a year. So it doesn't take a, a massive amount of time to shift, but you have to give yourself this space also to figure it out. You know, when, one of the things that happened to me when I started this online business was I had a certain amount of entitlement, success entitlement. I had two successful careers before. I thought to myself, well, geez, you know, I've been doing marketing for 25 years, right? Marie Forleo is a hip hop dancer. She can do this. Surely I can do it, right? And you have this kind of feeling of entitlement and we don't, you don't even recognize it. This idea that I will definitely succeed at this, this new thing because I put all this work over here in this old thing. And so I'm not sure that it's so much I'm running out of time as much as it is I don't really want to take the time, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? That sounds boring. That sounds hard. It's going to be a while before it gets fun, right? And because we're making the shift because we want to feel fulfilled, we're waiting for the fulfillment. Yeah. So I think one of the other things that makes this transition difficult, and I'm not sure exactly what the particulars of your situation, your transition here were, but oftentimes there's pressure, like starting a new thing requires a lot of time, even getting that first 50 hours. If we only have an hour a week, it's going to take us a long time for it to get fun. Whereas if we have nothing on our plate, we can do that in you know a couple of weeks, but maybe we don't have the income coming in then. So how... I'm sure that you have run into this with many of your clients who want to do something and make a transition, but just don't feel like they have the time or don't have the runway in terms of money to like take time off to pursue it. Like, how do you uh, coach people through that circumstance? You have to build a bridge. 
right? You have to, and, it, and it looks different for different people. So for some of my clients, it's, well, how much money do you really need? Like um, perfect example, I have a client who is an attorney and what she really realized over time is that there are so many attorneys who are absolutely disillusioned. They have this idea of what it's like to be an attorney and then they step into this role, into this industry that is very upfront about the fact that they're going to chew you up and spit you out and that the expectations and the requirements are just unreal. But yet still, folks decide to do this. And then they become attorneys and they're disillusioned by the lifestyle. They don't want it anymore, but they don't know how to be anything else. And their identities wrapped up in it. And so she became really, really, I think, keyed into this feeling and she pursued how to get around it and, and solved it for herself. So what she really wanted to do was teach that to attorneys, but she was an attorney. So in the beginning, when we started to work together, it was like, oh, you know, we're, I'm going to put together this presentation and a coaching program and all of these things. And she would come home from work at the end of the day and she was exhausted. And then she was beating herself up because she had this big new thing she wanted to do and she was never doing it. So, and the way she perceived it was, I have all these big ideas, but I don't, I don't ever follow through on anything, right? I'm a quitter, which is no, was not the case at all. The truth is she didn't have any time and energy to do it. So my question to her was, how much money do you really need to make as an attorney right now? How much money, if you, if we could pull this off in a year, Right and replace a reasonable amount of income in a year, if you could be making three or $4,000 a year at this new thing, how many hours would you still have to work as an attorney to be, be totally honest. And over the course of about four months, she went to her boss and said, can I work? COVID came at the same time, which is interesting because she was working at home, which is what she wanted, but they had always said no before. And she said, can I work part-time? And he said, you know, I, I don't really want you to work part-time. And so she started just pursuing conversations with other women who were attorneys and coaches. And, you know, one of them offered her a job. And so all of a sudden now she had this bridge where she had created, you know, it wasn't ideal, the ideal financial situation, but she gave it an amount of time. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this much money as an attorney. I'm going to work toward this much money as a coach. It was realistic. It opened up space for her, but more importantly, it was a decision to make the move, right? It was a moment when she said, I'm going to go pro. I don't know if you've read Going Pro by Stephen Pressfield, but it's my favorite book of all time. And there does really come a moment when we make these pivots or these turns where you have to decide, am I going to play around with this or am I going to go pro? The moment that I decided to go pro wasn't the moment that I walked away from the agency or put my income at risk, it was the moment when I decided to employ other people. Then it's like, okay, we're in now. It's not just me, right? There's other people involved here. And generally those going pro decisions are money decisions, but they come with a, a new level of commitment, I think, to the endeavor. So everybody needs a bridge. You have to find a bridge. You have to find a way to make the time to do what you want to do. And it's the, it's not the activity that drives you. It's the perfect day that drives you. When you really get clear, it, manifestation is a funny thing, right? You hear all these people talk about manifesting and manifesting is just really hard work toward a very specific goal, right? When you're really specific about what you want and you make it happen, that's manifesting. If we're vague about what we want, it's much less motivating to do it. I love that. I think one of the other things that can be difficult, and I know that you've talked about this before, is that especially when we feel 
like there is a time crunch, like we don't have that much time. We feel more restricted in our ability to experiment. And we feel like we need to make the right choice only once. Like we have one choice to make and we need to make the perfect choice this time. I know you've talked about this before and and seen this with your clients. Can you talk uh, a little bit about that? Yeah. So that's not just choice around around how we're going to spend our time. It's around everything we do, right? Like marketing tactics, the same way I see. I watch people do this all the time is this idea of I'm going to have a launch, right? I'm going to create a new thing. I'm going to make an online course. I'm going to make a new coaching program and I'll launch it. And every single thing is new. The program's new. Our understanding of online marketing's new. We've never done a webinar before. We've never run ads before, right? I'm going to launch. And then it doesn't go like you think it's going to go. And then the perception is I, I failed, right? And really the way it works is everything is this series of small actions and course corrections and small actions and course corrections. That's the way it works. And there are things you're going to do that try that are not going to be your thing, right? Like I was just talking to somebody yesterday and I said, you know, I knew after one hour of snowboarding that I did not need 50 hours of snowboarding. Like it was not, I, I was perfectly fine with saying snowboarding is not for me. Anything I have to take ibuprofen after doing, I'm not signing up for anymore, right? But some things we don't know, some things we have to get into. And if there's this constant rating of pass, fail, pass, fail, it's really hard to experiment. It's it's really hard to do that. And so I also think at a certain age, especially if we've been committed to the happiness of other people for a long time, like kids, or we've served a, a boss or somebody for a long time, we're not very in touch with what it feels like to want, to allow ourselves to want. And we're not very in touch with what it feels like to be satisfied. So you have to try those feelings on. And it's not a clear path from here to there, right? But if you, you know, back to the bridge, if you build a bridge, if you can find a way to get yourself some space. And for those people who have kids, the beautiful thing about recognizing it when your kids are really not 18, but 13, that's when things broke down for me was my son was 13. And you have this feeling of having purpose around this. And when your purpose shifts, it also frees up your time. This is another thing I say to people. If you're doing things for other people that they don't need you to do for them, this is time that you can recapture, right? If you're doing somebody's laundry, who's old enough to do their own laundry, stop doing their laundry and start learning how to do a podcast right? It'd be better for them and it'd be better for you. So there's a lot of that time, I think, too, in our lives that we don't really give credence to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the other things on the the lines of of choice that I've heard you talk about before is that like, it's okay to make a choice for right now and that it doesn't need to be forever and that you can commit to even a a whole career. You can commit to that 100% and six months and be like, you know, I really hate every minute of this and I'm going to choose again. And I think that that's such a freeing thing. And uh, I know for myself, I'm so grateful to to my mom because she, growing up, I don't think she worked one job for more than maybe a year and a half or maybe two years at the most. And she was always jumping from thing to thing to thing in different industries. And a lot of times she would work similar jobs, but she tried so many things. And so that example to me was, okay, like 
both my parents didn't grow up working the same job for 40 years. Like it's okay to jump from thing to thing to thing. And it's not a failure. No. It's not a shortcoming that you don't keep a job for a long time, right? Like these are these are meanings we give to things that are not truth. Yeah. And, and I know for me before before I started this career, when I kind of was curious about starting something for myself, but unable to commit to any one thing because I had so many interests, I remember the moment of actually accepting like or and realizing wait a minute, like, okay, I don't need to pick one thing that I'll do for forever for the rest the next 30 or 40 years. And I just remember the wave of like relief washing over me. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a lot less pressure. I can do something for two years and it can be successful. And then I can move on to something else or I can keep doing it. But that decision is down the road. Right now I can just find one thing to commit to and go from there. And momentum is everything. It's better to find something, commit yourself to it and get moving than to sit around picking out the perfect thing, right? And I'm not suggesting that we all rush into a new career tomorrow, right? But I know a lot, I have a lot of clients who ruminate for a long time. And ideation is a beautiful thing for a period of time. But it's the same way with strategic planning, right? Every, every big business in the world creates a strategic plan at a certain time of the year, and then we follow it. We don't plan all year. So I think people get really caught up in that. And it's the same way with brand building. Sometimes I'll work with women around their messaging or around creating a brand or, or beginning to build their presence. And they're really fearful of being locked into something. And so what I'll suggest to them is, well, could you look at this like you're a band and this is your album right now? So you have these 10 songs and you're going to tour with these 10 songs. And then while you're touring, you'll write 10 more and then you'll go on that tour right? And these are the things you choose to give voice to right now. And sometimes too, that understanding, not so much what am I going to do, but what am I going to stand for? Sometimes that's enough to move us forward as well, right? This idea that I'm not exactly sure what my new job is going to look like, but I know that I'm going to empower women, or I know that health is at the core of it, or I know that social justice is going to drive me. And so if we begin to give our, lend our voice to things, oftentimes then our will and our duties will follow. Every Sunday, I send out my Listen Up newsletter to over a thousand entrepreneurs, marketers, and creatives who are seeking to grow an audience around work that means something. Each week features an article to help you reframe how you're approaching your business, along with five things I discovered the previous week that I think might help you in your life and business. Instead of another tactic or strategy to add to your never-ending to-do list, the newsletter is meant to help you rise above the noise and look at your work from a new perspective. It's best consumed sitting somewhere cozy with a cup of coffee in your hand, which is exactly how I write it. Writing this newsletter is my very favorite thing I do in my business, and it's something I'm truly proud to create and share. I'd be honored to send it to you, and you can sign up at betterwellness.biz newsletter. What do you see as the role? Like, I think one of the uh, uh, another one of the big. There are many challenges here, but uh, that sunk cost plays into this. And I think, especially, you're the perfect example here. You had built up this agency that was really successful, and I think a lot of people around you, I'm sure, were if they didn't say it, were thinking it. Like, what are you doing, throwing that away? Like, this is an amazing. You, you're living the dream. You have achieved this thing that we all want to achieve, that people dream of, and you want to go do something else. So. Clearly, that's a huge hump to get over, uh, both for ourselves and the people around us. How do you suggest people move through that? I think sunk cost bias is huge. And I think there's even something beyond the sunk cost. And that is, if I can, then I must. We are 
many of us raised to believe that if you're good at something and that thing can produce a certain amount of income, you must do it because anything else would be irresponsible. That's one of those things, you know, you have a lot of coaches listening here and coaches understand the issue of story that we are wrapped up in story and that our thoughts are not true, that your thoughts are absolutely not true. And this is one of those things that's really literally just story. This idea, you know, you're going to sink the cost into something regardless, whether it, you know, money, time, effort, commitment, emotion, you're going to put it towards something. And it's not going to take a whole long time to shift it to the new thing. So this idea of, you know, back to my client with the attorneys, you know, this is who I am. This is my identity, right? I put everything into this. How could I ever be someone else? And I think we tend to label ourselves by what we do. And that's not the case. You know, I do brand strategy. I am a brand strategist by profession, but that's not who I am. And so I think some of that is, is around letting go you know, letting go of those things. And if you have a vision about what the new thing looks like, it's much easier to let go of the old thing too. And like you said about your mom, sometimes I hear people say, oh, my problem is that I'm multi-passionate. But it's not a problem. It's not a problem to be multi-passionate. It's not a problem to transition. It's a part of, beautiful part of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that I can and so I must. You could flip that and say, I can do this new thing and I'm called to do it. So I must like, that is almost my duty. That's like where I feel my current passion or interest or curiosity or excitement or whatever it is. And I have the opportunity to, to do that. So I must pursue it uh, rather than do this thing that is not fulfilling me. And probably if it's not fulfilling you before long, it's going to stop fulfilling the people around you as well, whether that's your clients or your team or whatever that is. Absolutely. Yes. And you know what I have found without fail with the people in my life and all of my clients and the people in my professional life is that we are not called to do things that we can't do. Hmm. We are called to do things that we were born to do. We are called to do things that are absolutely in line with our essence. You know, I don't desire to fly the plane when Jan and I are in it. I don't have any desire to do it. In fact, we've talked about it. My friends tease me about it. When he first got his pilot's license, I said, oh, I'm going to get my pilot's license too. And one of my friends said, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll fly with Jan, but you have poor attention to detail. So I don't really want to take off and land with you, right? So we're not called to do things we can't do. We're called to do things we're supposed to do. And I think you're right. Feeling the call, feeling every day, oh, I want to write a book. I want to write a book right? And, and sometimes too, we have this idea, I think Elizabeth Gilbert does a, does a whole bit on this, of that somebody else took my thing. Somebody else wrote my book or somebody else got there first. And if you're having this feeling all the time, like I could do that better than her, then you need to do it because otherwise you're not going to forgive yourself. And the, the, I think I fear regret more than I fear making a mistake. And maybe that's part of the, the moving past it. Maybe that's a place to get, right? Is real in touch with what that regret feeling gonna, is going to be. Uh, I love that. So something I like to say about this show is that it's really a podcast about building a better world that's disguised as a show about building better businesses. So I'm curious, when you hear the phrase building better, what does that call to mind for you? 
So I'm really committed to helping women get over the messaging that we're told about aging. And I know you have a lot of wellness coaches who listen to this, so I'll be careful about the way I say this, but the anti-aging industry is particularly damaging for women. And, you know, this is a $350 billion a year industry and very, very little of that is spent on things that actually make us live longer. Instead, most of it is spent by big companies to convince women that they should look like they haven't lived as long as they have. And so we have all these perceptions that we have problems. We have problem areas. We have things we need to fix. You know, God forbid anybody would find out how old we are. And so in my mind, building a better world is my contribution to that is getting women to see and understand how powerful they are at every age and that they get better and better every year instead of the other way around. I had so much fun talking with Juju in this episode, and I hope you took away something useful from this conversation. If you're currently going through a shift in seasons, whether in life, business, or both, I'd love to hear about it. You can head over to betterwellness.biz voice and leave me a message or email me at jeremy at counterweightcreative.co and I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. You can connect further with Juju at jujuhook.com. That's J-U-J-U-H-O-O-K.com where you can also find out about her upcoming online retreat, Prosper, which looks absolutely incredible. Of course, I'll have links to both of those plus everything else we mentioned in this episode at betterwellness.biz slash 024. Next week, I'll be talking with nutritionist and business coach Laura Schoenfeld all about when launches don't quite go as planned. Both Laura and I have had launches where we had really high expectations that kind of fell flat. And this is something that not a lot of business owners are talking about. And so I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Tom Kelly for sound engineering support, Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their behind-the-scenes work, keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. Finally, to you listening, thank you again for spending this time with me. And until next time, keep building better. Better.